0: Parenting for the long haul, I'm super glad to be a part of this series. Um, I, love, I love parenting. I have uh, uh, three wonderful daughters, uh, and I have so much to say about parenting that we're going to just dive right in. I don't have enough time to go back and, and preach what Chris preached. If you weren't here last week, you need to go back and listen to it because it was phenomenal. He did a great job, um, but I'll, I'll say a few things about what he did and some of the verses that he covered but last week, like what he said, I'm not an expert. Uh, I'm just a fellow traveler, a fellow journeyer with you in this saga of life. Uh, and if you have children, I might be a little bit further along than some, but not as far along as others, right? And so I've been married for 25 years to my wonderful wife, Stacy. Uh We have three incredible daughters, 23, 22, 21, almost 21. Um, It was a busy time in life for a while. All right? It was really busy. Now I have two son-in-laws. I get to continue this uh, with more people in my life. So it's awesome. There's a little testosterone now in our family. (laughs) Even had a girl cat and a girl dog. I don't know what it's doing to myself. but. There's a little bit more testosterone in the family lineage now, so looking forward to that and enjoying that time as well. But this idea of parenting, I have a lot of ideas, I have a lot of theories, so um, I do have suggestions and opinions, uh, and that's what today is going to be about. Like, I want to offer these to you, but I do believe that the opinions and suggestions I'm going to offer today come straight out of the scriptures. Uh, And it's because once upon a time, I was in grad school. And uh, during that time, I was going in to get my doctorate in neuroscience and spiritual development. That was what I wanted to be able to do because I wanted to be able to show the church. This was my greatest dream. I wanted to show the church that the Bible is full of neuroscience. All right. And so um, I even had one person come up afterwards and ask me, "Do you like Dr. Caroline Leaf?" I kind of recognized some of what she said. I'm like, "Yeah." She was actually, long story short, I was. She was actually going to let me use her research scientist for all my research and discovery for in my grad classes. But, um, so if you recognize Caroline Leaf's speaking and, and information through my speaking today, she's a heavy influencer in what I believe, all right? She's phenomenal. But anyways, uh, the Bible is full of neuroscience. And, and as you go along today, I hope to challenge you, I hope to encourage you, I hope to bring you hope, um, because what, when we discover what God did in the scriptures, My anticipation is, at least what he does for me, is going to blow your mind by the time today is over. All right? That is is my goal. That is what I hope happens in your mind here today. Because here at Journey, I don't know if you know this, if you have kids in Kid Street, you might recognize this, but we use a curriculum over in Kid Street called Orange. And we use Orange on purpose because what they do is they take a look at each one of these stages of development that I'm going to be talking about today. And they try to gear the education, the information, the lessons that we teach that are strategically uh, created for that age group. All right. And that's why we chose Orange. It's just a tool, it's just a curriculum, but I believe that it is very well done. And that is why we use it. All right. And you're going to hear a lot more about Orange and the different phases and stages of development that we use and why we have chosen Orange to be the curriculum that we do here. Uh, but that is. Also, a part of what we're talking about here today, because it's identifying—they don't call it neuroscience; they call it phases—but they identify what children are going through in their developmental stages, and so do we as, as teachers. And we want you to recognize that as well. All right. So one of the verses that Chris uh, used last week, and uh, I want to highlight this idea of neuroscience right out of the gate, comes out of the Book of Proverbs. So this is it: Proverbs 22:6 start children off on the way they should go and even when they're old they will not turn from it now we skip over that sometimes we think it's just a word of wisdom it is just a word of wisdom it is not a promise but a word of wisdom means that the lion's share of the time it works like this is a word to the wise now what we have to understand here is it says children the way they should go start them off and when they're old they will not depart from it we need to understand what they're recognizing here and what he is the author solomon is alluding to here is what i will call neuroscience all right and what we understand to be happening in the development of a child and hopefully by the end of the day you'll agree with me as well so it's important to understand that it's that verse isn't 100 percent truth because there are always exceptions to the rules right everything has an exception to the rule but The majority of the time, if you train a child on when they should go, when they're young, eventually they'll come back to it. A lot of times parents get all uh, worried, and rightfully so, the church gets worried too. We write books about it. There's a mass exodus of the church from age 15 to age 30, and everybody gets wigged out. Oh, the church is going to die, and blah, blah, blah. This has been happening for centuries, folks, because kids, during that stage, just like you and me, make horrible decisions. During that stage of life, right? It happens. Age fifteen to thirty, we make some lifelong, horrible decisions that affect us for the rest of our lives, and usually, God is not involved in those horrible decisions, all right? I want to suggest to you that that is part of this developmental stage that is referenced in Proverbs. Okay, so we don't have to wig out yet, because the reality is, you're going to screw up as a parent. I promise you. All right, you're in good company. We all have screwed up. We've all messed up. We're all a part of this together. We're all on this journey. Right? You aren't always going to make the best choices. That is okay. You are going to encounter the struggle that we recognize, and this is what I'm going to call it today, of nature and nurture, the flesh against the spirit. Right? A lot of times you read about it and you're like, nature versus nurture. It's not nature versus nurture. It's nature and nurture. You, depending on the moment depends on which one wins. Right. Most of the time our nature wins. Our nature wins. Why? Because it's the flesh. Our flesh wins out against our spirit. But as parents and as influencers of the next generation, we are called to help nurture their nature. Right? That flesh needs to be nurtured. That flesh needs to have the spirit spoken into it, just like every single one of us. We have to be nurtured in our flesh so that we can become more and more like Christ. And. The reason why we use orange is because it's very consistent with what we at Journey do here as well. We're very consistent all the way across the board. If you've been to Growth Track, you'll know this too, A little plug for Growth Track. If you haven't been there, you should. It's really good. All right? But uh, in orange, they call it the three basic truths, all right? It's represented by this little target on the wall uh, up there, right there. Um, love God, love others, love my, learn to love yourself, right? That's, that is the target on the wall. We cannot love God until, or we cannot love others until we love God. We cannot love ourselves until we love God. Our love for others and our love for ourselves comes out of our love for God. And we recognize that in the curriculum that we teach. We need to teach our children how to fall in love with God first. And then once we fall in love with God, it will affect the way we teach and treat others. And the way that we love ourselves in the view of God, and I'm not talking about the self-help narcissistic, hedonistic, paganistic way in which the world is trying to tell you to self-love. I'm talking about godly love of yourself, like a proper perspective of who you are in the image of Christ. All right? When we understand who we are, messed up people in need of a the savior, then we can love other people genuinely and until we get that. Our ability to love other people is limited by our love of ourselves. Like, just Take for example, if you have a neighbor that drives you up a wall, your ability to love past that Driving you up a wall is contingent upon how do you love yourself when you drive yourself up against a wall, and if you don't ever drive yourself crazy, then you're probably a narcissist. But anyways, just good. Right? There are going to be times where we where we drive ourselves. That's like, why did I even do that? I don't even understand. Well, it's because our nature kicks in, and it overrides our it overrides our spirit right? And so our love, our ability to love others is directly contingent upon how do we forgive ourselves? How do we love ourselves in that moment? How do we see ourselves through the eyes of Christ when we're making mistakes? We have to be able to teach our children that everything is about loving God, loving others, and loving yourself. And if you go to growth track, you'll see that that's what we do. We We talk about it in a little bit more mature language, but it's really the same thing. As long as we are down here on this earth, it's not about what sport our kids play. It's not about what school they go to. It's about do they love God? Is their life a reflection of Christ in their relationship with others? Is my life a reflection of Christ in my relationship with others? That's really what this whole life is all about. What we do is just a byproduct of that, Okay, but we want to we teach our children that it's all about loving God. And loving others. I mean, Jesus Christ made it pretty simple. Matthew 22 says it like this. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So you see, what we teach in Kid Street, what we teach in Growth Track, what we are teaching you here today, all along these developmental stages is how do we help our children do that no matter what it is they're going through in life. All right that's that is the goal that's where we want to be but I can't talk about our children's developmental stages until I address us in this room okay I can't talk about our child our children until I talk about our marriages you see we can't parent well until we get our marriages right and I'm I, I don't get offended yet all right just hear me out because I might step on a few toes here Marriage is not about cohabitating and figuring out if you sleep well together. Okay, You'll get that figured out, practice makes perfect, it'll all work out okay, I'll just deal with it. Okay, Marriage is about picking the right spouse. Marriage is about being in alignment equally yoked. Remember that phrase in the Bible, be equally yoked? This is what marriage should be about, picking a godly spouse. When you're dating, when you're, when you're in that moment, you pick a godly spouse that you are in alignment with in your goals, dreams, and parenting styles. That should be the priority. But unfortunately, most of the time when we do premarital counseling, 90% of people are already living together. That's just the way it works in the church, the outside of the church, it's everywhere. All right, I get it. You're sleeping together. It, you're already doing it. All right? We, we think, oh, I'll work on that after we get married. No, you won't. This is what you're going to argue about after you get married. Yeah this should be the priority. This is what you need to get right before you get married because it's going to make a mess of things once you get married. If you aren't in alignment, you're unequally yoked. If you start off by not having a godly spouse, you're unequally yoked. You're, you're just asking for problems. And We live in a woke society that is going totally backwards against this and has infiltrated the church to the point that how dare God tell us how we're supposed to run our marriages. This is a problem, folks. We can't parent our children to be godly if we ourselves don't surrender the way that we look at our sexuality and our marriages to God. It can't happen. It's not going to happen because you've left out the foundation of the family. You can't have a family that is godly if you leave out the foundation that makes a godly family. This is how it works. But you might be like, well, that's too late now. I screwed that one up. Whew. Wow, if you only knew the decisions I made. Okay. Good. You know what? You're in good company. You want to know why? Because Jesus levels us all to the same base morality. You want to know why? Because honestly, what we're talking about, we're talking about adultery. Nobody wants to surrender their sexuality to God. How dare God? It's archaic. It's ancient. How can he tell the society it's it's 2000 years old? He has no business telling the world how we should surrender ourselves sexually to God, blah, blah, blah. I'm woke. Good. Now you're wrong. because. God is God. We just sing about him being king of kings. Yeah, but not over my sexuality. Like, that's mine. Like, that's my identity. You get it? Like, God can't do anything with that, right? So we got to surrender that sexuality to God or we don't get marriage right. That's part of the deal. So when we do that or when we haven't done that, you're all in good company. You want to know why? Because Jesus says, hey, guess what, guys? If you've thought a dirty thought, you're an adulterer. Good news, folks, we're in a room full of a bunch of adulterers, isn't that great? <laughs> I was an adulterer by age 10, it was fantastic, all right? We come out of the womb messed up. We are doomed to failure. We are doomed to need a savior, all right? So don't get, don't get twisted on me, I'm thinking, well, I, I've already screwed it all up, it's all over, I can't make it. No, guess what? So all we have to do, the beautiful thing about what Jesus Christ does? What we do to bring our hearts in alignment with Christ is repent. All we gotta do is simply repent. He can redeem all things. Jesus Christ is a great redeemer. By the time we're done, see I told you I was gonna step on toes and then build you back up. He redeems all things. This is the hope that we get to pass along to to the next generation. It doesn't matter how screwed up life can get because we can make a pretty big mess out of things sometimes, can't we? I mean, man, I don't know about you, i look at some of the things i did i like, well, I don't know what i was doing i don't even know what i was thinking Whew, thank goodness thank goodness for the lord though the righteous stumble they do not fall why because the lord uplifts them and holds them up why because he is the great redeemer he can fix all things look at what it says in romans there is now no condemnation for those who belong to christ so if you're sitting there thinking i'm condemning you please hear me i am not condemning you you are in the house of god with really good sinners right beside you. okay? We are all covered by the grace of Jesus Christ. There's no condemnation. We got to believe that. It doesn't mean that you didn't mess up. It doesn't mean that you made hor- didn't make horrible decisions. It means that he's not holding against you. He forgave you for it. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. What that does means, it doesn't mean that you're never going to sin again and that you didn't sin in the first place. It means that he extracted the sin, the shame, the guilt, the condemnation, the very thing that drives you back into the same behavior over and over again. He took that power away from it because he's not holding your wrong decisions against you. Isn't that beautiful? That's what we get to pass on to the next generation, but it's got to be in us, all right? Keep going. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature, nature versus nurture. Our, Our sinful nature is just full of... Of evil, right? So God did what the law could not do. Keep going. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies that we sinners have, the flesh. He sent his son in the flesh. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Jesus forgives us of all of our sins. He redeems all things. And that's what we get to do for our children in all along their developing stages. Now you might ask, well, what does that have to do with all those developing stages? Like, wh- okay, I get it. Like, this is all great. This is Jesus. Okay, whatever. But what does this have to do with parenting? Well, you want to know something? I'm really glad you asked because I'm going to tell you the answer to that question. All right? So here's the answer. Why did I tell you? I'm going somewhere with this. Because we are all children. Every single one of us in here, no matter how old you are, you are a child. And somewhere along the line, you had a parent. You had a mom and a dad. Maybe they weren't a very good mom and a dad, but you had a mom and a dad. Maybe you don't know your mom and dad very well. I don't know your story. I don't know what's led you here, but I do know that all of us that are drawing breath are children. And we cannot, as children, model for our children anything that we have never attained. We have to attain this. If we want to lead our children to understanding the transformational grace of Jesus Christ, then we have to be transformed. If we want our children to repent, then we have to repent. If we want our children to not live an adulterous lifestyle, then we can't live an adulterous lifestyle. We have to surrender our adulterous heart. And you might think, well, I'm not just talking about adultery here. I'm talking about the adulterous nature of our heart, our desire to go against God. That's an adulterous heart. We don't want to submit to God. If we want our children to submit to God, we have to model how to submit to God. We have to model how to make it through these developmental stages if we want our children to understand how to model these developmental stages. I mean, we, we, serve, we serve a very elitist God if we come right down to it, right? I mean, how dare God state in the scriptures that we are separated him from birth? We are separated from him from birth. What an arrogant God would ever say that. If, if he's really the one that created us, how can he tell us I'm separated from him? From birth, like that's not fair. What's he thinking? Like, if he's really in control, why would he do it that way? Maybe you don't ever question God. I question God all the time, and he usually tells me I'm wrong. All right, but what we have here is when you were born, what is separated from God is your heart. Okay, you have a little amygdala in your brain. All right, all of us do. There's actually two of them. There's one in each hemisphere of your brain. Your amygdala was fully formed the day you popped out of mama, right? or struggled out of mama, however that worked out for you. Not really sure, but that amygdala was fully formed, not fully developed, fully formed. You want to know what happened? You want to know when that little amygdala started forming in your mama's womb? Kind of like Jeremiah, or Psalm 139 says, I knew you, when you before you were born. Six weeks. Six weeks. Six weeks, the amygdala is formed. The amygdala is the seat of your emotions. The amygdala is your heart. It stores where your emotions come from. All right? It controls how we react. That little child that you love so dearly, in the next moment, you want to rip their head off. Yeah, those are all parents that left. Those of you that didn't, you don't have kids yet. All right. In that moment, what they're having is an amygdala breakdown. All right. And then you get to choose whether or not you're going to have an amygdala breakdown. And just because you're bigger, it actually makes your amygdala breakdown a whole lot worse because you should have control over your amygdala. They don't. They don't even have a choice yet because you're going to see that in a second. So, as followers of Christ, Our our goal as as followers of Christ, influencing the next generation, whether mom, dad, aunt, uncle, parent, grandma, grandpa, I don't care, we're to help the next generation learn how to submit their emotional response to the authority of Christ. That is what we are called to do. That That is how we get them through these developmental stages. But we can't help them with this task if we don't know how to surrender our own emotional response to Christ. And that's why we have to talk about this As we are children, because we can't parent our children till we have better thought processes on our own, and that's what I want to talk about a little bit more is how we respond to irrational moments of tension. I mean, because when a child loses their 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 binky or their blankie or pacifier, whatever you want to call it, when a child loses that, they're having a moment of crisis, right? You'd think the world had to, dude, just pick up your pacifier. It's not that bad. The world's not coming to an end, but to them, the world's coming to an end. They're having an emotional breakdown. Their is getting hijacked. They're having a bad day. They get a little bit older get a little bit lippy. Their amygdalas backfiring on them. You get a choice. How are you going to deal with that little teenager that you could send to the next room with a swift kick? Yeah, it's a little less quiet because we've all been there too if you had teenagers. What are you going to do? Your amygdala's breaking down too. How do, we, how do we train our children to do something that we can't do? You see, one of the things that you, Matt's going to talk about next week, and I'm teeing it up for it, we, we punish for behavior modification. We just want behavior to change. Just say, well, that's doing nothing, because now you're just the problem. We discipline for character transformation. See, our goal as parents, we need to want to give them the tools for them to learn how to submit. But typically what we want to do is we want them to obey. Now, that's behavior modification. You're teaching them nothing other than to fear you. There's a big difference, okay, big difference. So what I want us to understand is what's happening in this amygdala breakdown, all right? So got a little uh, picture here for you. It's called the big six emotions because I couldn't find one with the nine that I really want up there, but this is the best way I can describe it. Okay, maybe some of you guys have heard the lizard brain. Uh, the primitive brain is what it's called here. Uh, it's really your amygdala, it's your heart. The Bible calls it your flesh and your heart. Every time the Bible talks about the way you think or the, the, your heart, it's talking about your amygdala, that seat of emotions, how you respond to things, your lizard brain, what kicks in in that moment of stress, right? I would strongly suggest, through my years of, of research, that you add to it three other ones enjoyment, uh, arousal, and excitement right? Because what happens is when we're in those states of mind, we also throw reason out as well. Uh, Have you ever met an adrenaline junkie? Okay. (laughs) They don't have a lot of reason when they're doing some of the things, right? you be like, oh, that's stupid. Yeah, it is, but they're going to do it anyway, so you might as well just let it go because you're not stopping them. Why? Because they're feeding this big little hijack. (laughs) Oh, you have no idea how amazing that is. So you try it, and then you're addicted. And then you feed all, it. you see how this, it's an amygdala hijack, this is your heart. It has been happening since the day we were born. Through my studies, what I have found during this time, um, I made my own little image, right? And so, uh, not near as artistic, okay? So that's your brain, your two hemispheres, and represented as old man and new man, flesh versus nature, okay? Spirit versus flesh, all right? Or flesh versus spirit, old man versus new man, uh, whatever you wanna call it, all right? This railroad track is your neurological pathways. All right? From the time you were born, you are developing neurological pathways to your frontal cortex. Okay? This is the way it works, is the way your properly designed brain works. And it goes from your amygdala to your prefrontal cortex. Okay? And that neurological pathway is being developed all the way uh, from the time that you were in the mother's womb. Right? So that happens starting at six weeks. Uh, whatever your mom is going through during that time, whatever dad's going through, whatever's happening around you. That baby is being formed with these neurological pathways before he ever comes out of the womb. That's why God could say, You're separated from me at the time of birth, right? Because our hearts are far from him from the day we we're born. Okay? Zero to seven, we learn how to deal. I just have the three emotions up there. But if you just keep breaking out those three, then you go to the six that are on there, then you go to the nine. So just imagine those are the nine emotions. And so I'll get to the ages in a little bit. But during this devel- developmental stages, we are creating neurological pathways to how we're going to respond to stressful situations. That is how it works, it's the way our brains work. What we've discovered in neuroscience is your, your prefrontal cortex has complete authority over your amygdala and your emotional responses. Okay? Your properly functioning pre, prefrontal, good lord, your properly functioning prefrontal cortex can override Your misfunctioning, malfunctioning amygdala, okay, why? Because that's the way God's designed the brain. And then you're gonna be able to understand how that happens. Here's the beautiful thing. God wrote the book on neuroscience, you wanna know what happens? Our pathways, our neurological pathways, they're called dendrites, and on our dendrites they have a a little coating called a myelin sheath. That little myelin sheath isn't done forming on all your dendrites, and there are millions of miles of these things in your brain, they aren't done connecting. Until you're 30 years old, 26 to 30, women develop a little faster. We all know that, men. It's okay. Scientifically speaking, their brains even develop faster. It's okay. Just get over it. That is why, this is why we put young men on the front lines in battle. Why? Because they react. They don't think. Right? Just, that's, they're at their prime strength. Right? They go out there, they fight, they react. Why don't you have a general that's under 30? Why? Because generals overthink the situation. Why? Because they're using their brain. We don't want our military men out or women now using their brain. We want them out there killing, right? Why do we put them out there? Because we can train them through this process on how to overwrite it. Now you might think that's horrible. You just aren't in the military. That's what the military does. Okay, so that's how we learn how to fight spiritual battles too. We overwrite it. We have to teach people how to overwrite the battle that is ensuing. That's why. The the Bible talks about this battle that exists within us. We don't teach our kids how to fight because we don't fight right. We don't teach our kids how to overcome these battles because we don't even know how to overcome the battles. We give in to them just like our kids give in to them. So that's why we got to be able to understand what this is happening. Do you know in the Hebrew culture that you weren't considered an adult until you were 30 years old? It's almost as if God knew something about neuroscience. It's like neuroscience is finally catching up with them. Fascinating. This is why I wanted to do this. I want, the, I want the church to understand just how powerful the brain is. When Christ, when Christ comes in and transforms us, he literally rewires our brain. Right? You, Jesus could not have been a rabbi he, until he was 30 years old. He had to be an adult in the Jewish culture, the Hebrew culture, or they wouldn't have listened to him. So he had to have what he was passing on. That is what he did. I wonder if the Bible talks about this anywhere. Oh, Let's, let's flip open to Romans, okay? Romans 12. See if any of this is con- consistent with the scriptures. I urge you, brothers and sisters, that's you guys, if you follow Christ, you are brother and sister in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's what we're called to do. Love God. That's what we're called to do, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That is your true act of worship. Then it keeps going. But in that process, do not be conformed to the way of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? Do not be woke, be awakened. OK? Big difference. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, this process. Let the Holy Spirit rewrite the hard wire within your brain. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing and perfect will. Keep going. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Now comes how we treat other people. God first, then others, and ourselves in there, that is how this all works together. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, go to the next verse. But rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. That is why we say that we're not, when we tell you to love yourself, it's not about the the self-love that the world wants to project upon us right now is about properly understanding who you are in Christ with sober judgment realize what it is that you bring to the table what has Christ done in your life to transform your story that is what it's all about this this process that we're talking about that verse that we just read is literally a, neuro, a new neurological pathway being rewritten go ahead and go to the next slide the new man that's in that image of the two brains the new man literally through the transformational grace of Jesus Christ, he literally transforms our brains. He gives you a new way. He gives you a new pathway to override your emotions. and This is what we get to pass on to our kids. Science calls it neuroplasticity. Okay? God calls it transformation. Right? So this neuroplasticity, maybe you have someone that's had a stroke They used to think that once you had a stroke and you're older, uh, you would never be able to recover. What they've discovered is that's totally not true. Uh, you can actually retrain different parts of your brain to control certain parts of your body. All right? it's, it's fascinating. Neuroscience is, is a fascinating field of study. It's finally catching up with what God said. He, he has given us the ability to literally overwrite what is happening within us. Okay. Let's go back to this idea that God says that we are separated from him at birth. Our hearts are utterly wicked above all else who can know it. We are separated from God at the time we come into this world. Before we were ever known, the scriptures say God knew us while we were being formed. This is crazy. This, this, I hope this blows your mind. All right. They have studied the brain, the amygdala specifically, of a little baby boy before he gets circumcised. Okay. And if your kids are in here and don't know what that is, well, you do. you're going to have to explain it now. So, before they go in and get circumcised, they, they studied the brain image of the amygdala. And then they go through the process, and then they study the amygdala. You want to know what happens? Their amygdala is forever changed. Okay, let me explain why that's so amazing. All right, because the amygdala is the seat of the emotions. God designed a whole people group a whole culture a whole leadership style a whole governance system a whole separation of a nation upon one act that signified a surrender of the heart from birth that is why it's amazing all right from birth he he set apart an act for our little children and our families to understand that their their heart is forever changed because you're surrendering to Christ in this action. You're surrendering, not to Christ in that time. You're surrendering to God in this action. You're separating yourself from the world. You're literally, your heart is literally, your seat of emotion is literally being changed at birth. The very thing that's separated from God in that moment. It symbolizes that you need God right out of the womb. And maybe that's not blowing your mind as much as mine, but that is just fascinating to me because I wonder if the Bible talks about that anywhere else. Tracy, unbeknownst to me, even read the verse about uh, circumcision in her, in the, in the during the worship time. Okay, that's God, the Holy Spirit speaking right now. This is what it says in the Scriptures in Romans: A person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly. Okay, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No. We're missing the point. If that's what we think it is, we're missing the point. Look at what he says. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly and circumcision is circumcision of the heart, the mind. Isn't this amazing? It's like God knew what he was talking about the whole time. By the spirit, not by the written code. This is fascinating. I hope, I hope that when you begin to understand when your little child is going through these developmental stages. You are literally taking an opportunity to guide them into understanding how to surrender their heart to God, how to submit to God's authority. And we don't wait until they're 30 to teach them how to submit. If you wait until then, they're going to have a a list of things that they've got to rewrite. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. Again, this is how we have a proper understanding of ourselves before God. Our praise isn't before men. This is our praise before God. We've got to see ourselves through God's eyes. Jeremiah talks about our heart is utterly wicked above all else. Who can know it? Jesus can know it. And from birth, our, our amygdala, our hearts get hijacked from birth. And God from birth set a part of society teaching us that we've got to learn how to surrender ourselves to him. That's just fascinating to me, all right? Paul, Paul went on to try and explain to the Corinthian church this phenomenon that's happening. It's in 1 Corinthians 13, 11. And so if you know anything about 1 Corinthians 13, it's called the what chapter? Love chapter. Exactly. So it's the love chapter. Verses four through eight tells us how we're supposed to love other people. And then Paul's like, yeah, but guys, I get it. He goes on, verse 11, he goes, I, I get it, guys, this is really tough to do. It's hard to love people like that. Because when I was a child, I, I thought with my lizard brain. I talked like a child. I talked out of my lizard brain. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. He's, he's identifying this process like, I'm going, I went through all these developmental stages. But when I became a man 30 years old, I put the ways of childhood behind me. I learned how to override my emotions. Right? He became a man, an adult that realized what it was he needed to do to become more like Christ. and He was trying to teach the Corinthians how to do it as well. All neurologists will tell you that along the way of life, as you're going through these developmental stages, everything that happens to you is having an impact upon how you, how you live in this world and how you react in this world. All neurologists will do it. Our curriculum that we use here, in the orange curriculum, they actually have a website now. I don't know if you know this or not, but if you have kids uh, or grandkids or nieces or nephews or you interact with the next generation at all as a teacher, I want you to take out your phone and I want you to log on to your browser and I want you to input www.justthephase.com um, so it's in your history, all right? Because I, if you don't get anything else out of today, I want that in your phones so that you can go back and look at this because it breaks down. Every single developmental stages stage at every single age that your children, whether you're a teacher or an aunt or an uncle or a grandpa or a grandma or a mom or dad, and it helps you understand how you can be influencing them to surrender their little life to God. Okay? It's phenomenal. Look it up. But our goal then is, as we're doing this, if we go back to the image that that I created in my counseling, from zero to seven years old, the things that happen to that child are incredibly significant. If you want your little child to learn to submit to authority, zero to four is your age group. If you don't teach your little zero to four-year-old to submit, you're going to have a lot to pay for later on. Because at zero to four, that's when they're really cute. And we think that everything that they do is really cute, even though a lot of it's really disrespectful. And, uh, and we let it go because it's funny. And then they learn to be disrespectful. And then when they get over it, get older, it's not as funny anymore, now they're sassy little teenagers and we want to fix it. Well, you should have fixed it when they were pliable because if you try to fix it when they're teenagers, I don't know if you've had a teenager yet, they're not as pliable. But they want mom and dad's approval when they're zero to four. It's a whole lot easier to flick a little finger lightly and make them lose it than it is to get a teenager to do what you want. Why? Because it's easier to teach them to submit when they're zero to seven. But if you want to know what happened to you, because this is about you, not just your kids, ask yourself, what happened to you in the stages of zero to seven? Maybe you need to bump it up to seven to 14, because that's another incredibly influential stage. That's middle school and junior high years. If you wonder why you have certain tendencies, maybe why you react irrationally in different stages of life, ask yourself what happened to ages seven to 14. What were those things that were happening? All the way up to age 30, significant things, traumatic things that happened in our lives at those times. Why do you think our military men come out with so much PTSD? Their brains are still being formed during that time where they're fighting for their very life. Guys, this is is neuroscience. But the beautiful thing is, through Christ, we can overwrite these things. But we have to have a grasp of the, the depth of how significant this trauma is in our lives. It shapes our brains. And this is why God doesn't condemn us, because He understands He has mercy on us. He knows the troubles that we went through. And, folks, as a parent, some of it is your fault that your kids are messed up. We're messed up because of our parents. We do good things, we do bad things. It's just part of life. It's okay. We just have to. No matter what we do, we just have to give our kids the tools they need to be able to overcome it. Orange uses another thing. It's called the timeline. If you go to justthephase.com, you'll see this as well. It goes through all the different ages, zero to one, two, three, four, five, and six, on up. You can't see it because it's a little blurry. But it goes through how they think, what are they concerned about, what are the things that they're looking for, how, do you, how are they developing, what are the things that you can feed into them to bring them security and trust in Christ. Like it goes through every single one of those. When we are teaching your children right now, we are following this format, pouring into them the love of God. But if it's only a church and it's not enough, you've got to do it as parents at home because that's really where the transformation happens. We have about 18 years to be able to invest—that's how, time, or how Orange kind of looks at it. But the reality is, we're parenting for the long haul. My children—they're here today. Two of them are. They're here today. i am am their dad for the rest of my life. They're my children for the rest of my life. I get to now. I have son-in-laws. I get to help them too, as much as they want it. It's a beautiful thing. I have two incredible son-in-laws. They chose wisely. It's awesome being a part of this. Yeah. Not everybody gets that story. I get it. But it's a beautiful thing when you watch it happen. It's, a, it's wonderful. And I will say, guys, and I say guys because women tend to do it a little bit better than men. I, I loved their friends before they brought their friends home. It was a very cognitive choice that I made. Because I didn't want them ever receiving from me that I was not. Can't look at my kids when I say it. I didn't, want to, I didn't want them to ever think that I wasn't going to accept who they brought home, because I won't influence their friends if they don't bring them to our house. So they can't know how much I love them if I don't love their friends. I don't know, that was not in my sermon, so <laughs> that's not for me, because I've been doing that for years. That's <laughs> someone out there. One of, someone needs to know, you've got to love your kids' friends you got to love who they love, because if you don't love them, you might be the only Christ that person experiences. That's what we get to do as parents. You see, I want to end with a story about Jesus, okay, because what better person to end on than Jesus? We have to ask ourselves in this process. All of us, as we walk out that door, as we we think about the next generation, what do I have to offer to the next generation? What do I I have to offer to my kids? What do I have to offer to anybody that wants to listen to me? Or is forced to listen to me. (laughs) What do I have to offer? A transformed life. Think about Jesus with the woman at the well. The woman at the well was a pariah in her own society. And she lived in a society that was already a pariah. She was part of the Samaritan culture. Jews would literally walk miles out of their way to avoid interacting with any Samaritan. Jesus walked right through it, sits down in the heat of the day. So this woman is such an outcast, she has to draw water in the heat of the day, and he starts talking with her. And I hope that this, I I don't know where you're at, I don't know what kind of a mess you've made or what kind of mess you haven't made. I don't know what kind of mess your kids have made or what kind of mess your kids haven't made. But I hope that this brings hope, because it doesn't matter what mess or what what we've experienced, what trauma we've experienced. Because this woman at the well was on man number six. She wasn't even married to him. And Jesus gets toward the end. He says, go tell your husband, come. And she goes, ah, I really want the water you're living that you're talking to me about, but I, I'm not married. He goes, you're right. man you're with now, he's not even your husband. Number six. That's two, but number six. The backstory of the woman at the well, I can't even imagine. To be her counselor, to hear the trauma that she must have gone through, I can't even imagine. But you want to know something? Jesus wasn't worried about it. He wasn't worried about what she brought to the well. He was worried about what she took from the well. And That's what I'm worried about here for you today. Isn't what you've brought in through these doors, it's what you take out of here. I don't care about the mess you've made because I know a savior that can redeem it. He can fix all things just like the woman at the well. And that's what we have to offer. So whether you have a full handle on it and you get to hand it to the next generation, or whether you're still learning it and you get to show the next generation, we all have the same opportunity to offer the hope of Jesus Christ. Let's look at his words before I pray. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, but we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. A time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father and Spirit, na- nurture versus nature, Spirit over flesh, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. And the woman said, "I know. Like she, she wanted what Jesus was saying so bad. I know. I know that the Messiah called the Christ. I know he's coming. And when he comes, he's going to explain all of this to us." Jesus looked her in the eyes. Look. I mean, imagine you are the woman who has a horrible, traumatic history, sitting in front of the Christ. He goes, and he looks at you. Dead in the eyes. I am the one speaking to you. I am He. Her life was transformed like that. He opened the pathways to a new nature, a new circumcised heart, surrendered to the great Redeemer. Let's pray. Dear God, you. Are amazing. How we can bring our brokenness to you is eternal. And God, you are so good. As the great Redeemer, you can take anything that anybody is struggling with in here right now, whatever they have brought to the table, whatever, maybe their kids are bringing to the table, whatever, whatever that is, God, it's heavy, Lord, they're struggling with it, Lord, let them experience your hope, let them experience your transformation that can be with them just like it was with the woman at the well. So that when we go out these doors and we impact that next generation, Lord, we know that we are bringing the eternal hope of the transformational gospel of Jesus Christ, our great Redeemer, our Savior, the restorer of all relationships. God, we love you. We are grateful for you. We surrender to you all of our emotions, all of our heart. God, we give it to you we repent of the things that we've held on to too long and we say god here they are they're yours i'm sorry god be with your church be with your people no matter what they're going through we love you jesus amen